Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you want to watch streaming video, go to www.bornagainmormon.com and click on the TV show. You'll, it's pretty self-explanatory and anybody can watch it anywhere in the world uh, live. We have a long list of shout outs tonight. And we have some in-house guests tonight and a few other things. So let me go to the in-house guests first. We have here Emmanuel, Kevin, Lydia, Kyle, and his little friends Jaja, Wes, Eric, Tamari, Big Daddy Shane Rose, and Marcus. We also have another special guest you'll meet soon. Shout outs to E. Eddie for the article she sent me. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. The inmates statewide, Ben, Chris, Catherine, Elizabeth, Luke, and Claire. We love you so much. Dave and family, great lunch today. Thank you. Troy and Dan at 700 South and 7th West. Our attorney friends that we've seen throughout the city today. Chelsea, a singer, actress, fashion designer, and her family, Kenny, Melissa, Kaylee, Madison, Ashton, and Brianne. We have shout outs to Destiny from Kyle. We have all the Squatters gang, Lowell F, Eliza W, John H, Elaine, Carol in Denver, Robert M, Richard B, Micah B, Russell and Callie, Tim, Ann C, Sharon, uh, Ed and Becky Heff, Don F, David L, Rhett who's LDS, Robert uh, Z Jr, Eric S and wife, Michelle E, a favorite longtime show viewer who's our favorite nurse. Uh, shout out to all you guys. What's happening this week? And you know what's happening this weekend. If you don't, you haven't been watching the show, so we invite you to Heart in the Park Sunday from 3 p.m. until dusk. And uh, it's at Sugar House Park. And uh, bring a chair, bring food and your own drinks. There's, got, there's a stream that runs through the area. There's a beautiful lake. There's beautiful shade trees. We'll have a bounce house for kids. We're going to have three live bands, t-shirts, books. There'll be ministries there, church uh, tables for uh, pastors. Listen, if you're a pastor of a church and you want to come set up a table with a banner and give out your information of your church in your area, please feel free. There's a meet and greet, op open mic Sunday, and a worship. Uh, invite you to be there. Also want to let you know of a great website, www.onelivingtruth.com. It's run by a very good friend and Christian. I challenge you to go and check that out. And we're going to have a podcast coming up next week where the uh, webmaster and originator of that uh, uh, website interviews me. And so uh, that'll be uh, interesting. Squatters Pub tonight on 3rd South in downtown Salt Lake City. We usually have a great crowd. If you're interested in volunteering your time on Sunday to help out at Heart in the Park. Feel free to show up tonight because we're going to just have an impromptu meeting about some things that need to happen before 3 o'clock on Sunday. And even if you're not interested in helping out that way, show up to Squatters. We'd love to have you. Oh, and remember beginning um, July 15th, a week from this Sunday, we're going to have our first Lord's Word uh, meeting at the Gateway Theaters from 9.15 to about 10.30, we're gonna worship, we'll pray together, and we'll study the word together. All are invited. In fact, speaking of Lord's word, watch this.
And now, because she always has something important to say, and because she's in this town, in the town this week to do Heart in the Park, and because she's my daughter, uh, I'm going to give the next few minutes over to Cassidy McCraney, who's going to do Cassidy's Christian Commentary for Teens. Cassidy, fire away. Thank you, Dad. And hello to all of you Heart of the Matter viewers. I have learned in all my years that high school is the time when people make decisions that can either lead them to a life of success or destroy them completely. It has been interesting, actually it's been a blessing, to be able to observe my fellow Christian peers and my childhood LDS friends and how they handle the teenage pressures that they face daily. A lot of the proclaimed Christians, I must admit, sleep with their significant others and party and participate in activities that wouldn't really seem fitting to the Christian lifestyle. When reminded that they're supposed to be good Christian kids, they state with audacity that they still do bad things, but they just know they're forgiven. To put it lightly, this just makes me want to throw up. But those Christians who get tired of living a hard life know who to turn to. Because they understand the meaning of Jesus' death and they do realize that they were forgiven a long time ago, they immediately renew their walk with Christ, this time understanding that they should never take advantage of what he did for all of us. My Mormon friends, on the other hand, try so hard to stay away from outward sin. They strive to avoid teenage temptations, and I really admire their desire to stay pure. But this belief that they were pure in the first place is totally false. Once these kids turn to the ways of the world, the LDS kids remain empty of any hope to turn back to God. They go further and further downhill, not knowing that their answer all along is Jesus. So the reality is they cannot stay pure because they were never pure. We all sin, like it or not, and lucky for us, we have someone who took all of the world's sin on his shoulders so that we can be saved. In summary, I would like to say that my Christian friends can learn a lot about behavior from, the LDS, from my LDS friends. And my LDS friends can learn a lot about Jesus from my Christian friends. Thank Excellent you. Excellent commentary, Cassidy McCraney, uh, for Cassidy's Christian commentary for teens. <laughs> if you're a teenager and you want to call in tonight and discuss her comments, if you disagree with them or agree with them or have another insight, We'd love to hear from you. Cassie's going to join me again uh, here on the set as we, uh, have a, uh, as we get done with the message. So uh, thanks, my dear. Yeah. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time, the airwaves, uh, for um, the staff and everybody who dedicates their time and volunteers to help with Heart of the Matter. We pray your uh, blessings upon the viewers and people who are searching for truth, uh, even your son in Jesus' name, amen. As of two weeks ago, we were sitting around 1834, 1835 in our coverage of LDS history. We're going to take a step back a little bit so that I can cover some missed gaps in the chronology of LDS history. Remember, it's my intention to speak of um, LDS unspoken history. 
I'm teaching you and telling you about the things that are not usually talked about and giving you a perspective on those. Um, it also is a supplement to the anemic actually anemic versions of the gospel of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that the missionaries share with people. I'm giving you these supplements so that you can know what the whole thing is rounded out. Because from this history, from these fields of Mormon history, they now uh, glean and garner their present-day practices and actions and beliefs. The day after publishing the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith announced to his friends that his official title was, quote, seer, a translator, a prophet, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and elder of the church through the will of God the Father and the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, end quote. The Church of Christ was formed on April 6, 1830 with six members. As it grew, most of the members came from the southern part of New York and not the Palmyra area where Joseph Smith was because Joseph had established a very shady reputation for himself throughout his young life. Creditors plagued the Smith family and stress of bankruptcy and growing hostility toward Joseph Smith's message caused him to return to his in-law's home in Pennsylvania to become a farmer. From what I've read, I don't believe that Joseph Smith was, uh, had an aversion to work or to hard work, but I do believe that he had an aversion to manual work and manual labor preferring to spend his days with imagination and, and being charming and charismatic with people. And farm labor, I just don't believe was his thing, even though he had to grow up doing quite a bit of it. It appears that Emma and her father, Emma is Joseph Smith's wife, first wife, and her father found relief in seeing Joseph uh, as a farmer back there in Pennsylvania. And they probably hoped to some extent that he would stick with that and leave all this stuff behind. I know from personal experience, as many people know, that it's very difficult for a um, spouse to endure another spouse's wild plans. When I come up with wild ideas and things I want to do, my poor wife has to endure the wonderment of what's going to happen. They like security, they want answers, and I imagine that Emma had a very difficult time. It wasn't long after Joseph returned to Pennsylvania to farm, though, that Oliver Cowdery came back to Pennsylvania and said, you need to get off this farm and start uh, pushing the church forward that you uh, started. Shortly thereafter, Joseph received a revelation from the Lord about himself, which he undoubtedly and conveniently shared with Emma, hopefully to his benefit. This revelation said, quote, God is speaking to Joseph, magnify thine office, and after thine has sown thy fields and secured them, go speedily unto the church which is in Colesville, Fayette, and Manchester, and they shall support thee. And I will bless them both spiritually and temporally, but if they receive thee not, I will send them a cursing instead of a blessing. The revelation goes on to state, quote, and in temporal labors thou shalt not have strength, for this is not thy calling. In essence, the revelation Joseph said God was giving him was, you don't have to labor anymore, Joseph, in these temporal affairs. Go and do this other thing, and the church will support you. It seems the Lord was not only speaking to Joseph, but spoke in a way to Emma to give her reassurance and hopefully convince her that Joseph should not continue, continue to be a farmer in Pennsylvania with her father. Emma had been through a lot in her young married life up to this point in time. 
She had already lost one child. She had been living off the generosity of others. She had watched Joseph establish a church without very much success and had seen the reaction the masses gave to his claims. She had never seen the golden plates and she had certainly disappointed her parents in her choice of a husband. But even with this revelation from God himself, it appears that Emma was not convinced and that they should uh, continue to farm. More perhaps was needed from the Lord and in short order, more conveniently arrived. It was a revelation directly to Emma this time that Joseph received from God and it was recorded in the Book of Commandments chapter 36 verse 58 for 59. This is what Joseph had God saying to his wife who was unsure. Hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God while I speak unto you, Emma Smith, my daughter. Thou art an elect lady whom I have called. Murmur not because of the things which thou hast not seen. And the office of thy calling shall be for a comfort unto my servant, Joseph Smith, Jr., thy husband, in his afflictions with thy counseling words, in the spirit of meekness. And thou needest not fear, for thy husband shall support thee from the church. Cleave unto the covenants thou hast made. Continue in the spirit of meekness and beware of pride. Let not thy soul delight, let thy soul delight in thy husband and except thou do this, where I am, you cannot come. This was a revelation Joseph received from God to his wife to support him in the things he was doing. And if she didn't, where he was, where God was, she could not come. For your information, the term elect lady is found in 1 John in the New Testament, and excuse me, 2 John 1.1. The word murmur is used in the Book of Mormon more than almost any other uh, uh, verb. Joseph Smith was already covenant-minded, you can see, early in the establishment of the church as he tells his wife to obey her covenants. And this revelation was revised later, and the line that says, Thy husband shall support thee from the church was later changed to thy husband shall support thee in the church. Pretty slick, huh? In the face of this convenient revelation, and if tonight's show is going to have a topic, a uh, title, and it does, and it's convenient revelation, Emma agreed to leave Pennsylvania and the agrestic life she had hoped her husband would embrace. Having nowhere to go, the Smiths moved in with Peter Whitmer's family. She never saw her parents again. Around this time, Joseph had pretty much abandoned his practices in folk magic. He had used no more the mineral rod, and sometimes he would use the uh, seer stone, but very uh, rarely thereafter. It appears from this point forward, Joseph was able to speak as though receiving revelation directly from God, and he, did, he no longer used any of the props he used to use to show that he was getting this, these magical insights. David Whitmer recorded that Joseph had said, quote, he did not use the seer stone anymore and that, quote, he would have to depend on, we would have to depend on the Holy Ghost to be guided to truth and to obtain the will of God, end quote. This added a whole new dimension to the operation of the church. A standard had been set for receiving revelation through magical rods and through seer stones and Joseph was now trying to quell that practice that people were using around him and say now we just have to receive it from the Holy Ghost. At one point Oliver Cowdery, his scribe and cousin, 
who believed in apostolic gifts in the church, tried his hand at receiving revelations and recording those revelations, and he even went so far as to correct Joseph's revelations and tell them that they needed to be revised. In response to this, Joseph boldly asked Oliver, quote, By what authority do you command me to alter or erase, to add or diminish from, diminish from a revelation or commandment from Almighty God? Cowdery probably just said something like, I don't know, Joseph, gosh. I mean, what are you going to say to something like that? He was trying to usurp Joseph's authority, and Joseph laid down the law. This is how it's supposed to be. Actually, while Cowdery may have pulled back a ver this verbal challenge and just kind of said, okay, I won't do that anymore, Joseph, he encouraged Hiram Page, who had a black seer stone, to come up with more revelations to kind of compete with Joseph as to what revelations were going to stick and what, what weren't. This is important because it reveals how much looking into stones was used in the early development of the church and its doctrines by Joseph and was an accepted practice to the point where uh, Oliver said, hey, use your black seer stone and you can come up with revelations too. But Joseph saw through Oliver Cowdery's attempt to use Hiram Page as a puppet revelator and he told Joseph, he, he had a revelation and he said to Oliver, Quote, Behold, I say unto thee, Oliver, and this is God talking, No one shall be appointed to receive commandments and revelations in this church, excepting my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., for he receiveth them as Moses. Joseph goes on to quote the Lord, saying, And again, thou shalt take thy brother Hiram Page between him and thee alone, and tell him that those things that he hath written from that stone are not of me, and that Satan deceives him. Oliver probably was disappointed again at this ploy and said, dang it, Joseph, and went on and did what Joseph wanted him to do. But he did get Hiram Page to renounce the seer stone activities in the first general conference of the church, thereby publicly announcing in one way or another that Joseph Smith Jr. truly was the one who could receive revelation for the church and the only one who could receive it. And that settled a lot of problems for the early church at that time. This, the pattern was being established. Joseph had cut his teeth on religion, just to bring this back to your mind. He watched and observed Christian churches that were chaotic and crazy and all kinds of stuff, and he watched them dissolve. They had no organization. And then he also watched those that were extremely rigid dissolve too. And so he, he took all this stuff in and he established a church that he thought was going to survive. Once, he, once Joseph established himself as the oracle for the church, it, it sort of became a his way or the highway deal in the early part of the church. I mean, he either sanctioned it and had the revelation for it or nothing else. And he convinced people through his charisma to back his every command and decision. This is nothing new. People have long done this before and they have long done this afterward. Look at Jim Jones in Guyana. Look at David Koresh. Look at Poe from those guys who were looking for that starship to climb upon. They've all been able to do this. They get the special revelations and they convince people to follow them that these revelations are true. As his spiritual stature improved and people began to look at him and his ability to receive revelation without any of these props, his revelations became more and more impressive. And he began to really throw down and throw stuff out. And it gave him some chutzpah. I get, I get criticized on how I say that. That's a, a Yiddish term, a, Jew, a Hebrew term for 
the huevos to, to say. He had the chutzpah to, to do these things. But as more and more re, uh, people respected him as the prophet, he began to actually uh, revelate like a prophet would. And we start to see that these revelations really start to, to sound um, as though they came from God. Once again, he relied on his knowledge of the Bible, he relied on themes from the Bible, and he relied on uh, words from the Bible. Um, he began to infuse eschatological utterances into his uh, revelations. And what that is, is a big word for end times, eschatology. And he began to talk and really get the church focused on, this is the last time that we're going to be able to do this. These are the end times. We are establishing Zion in this last days. The second coming is around the bend. Gather up now, be strong, because Jesus is coming. And this is infused in his later revelations as he went on. The chosen people was often in his revelations. The gathering of Israel, eternal damnation, the second coming, obedience and the resurrection, all became natural texts which he infused into his revelatory text. Now his early revelations were very, um, uh, they were short and they, they weren't elaborate and they were simple. And then as he went on and on, it just, now the LDS will say that's because he was infused with more light and knowledge. Uh, I, I think he was infused with something else. But Joseph was different from the other scripture toting people uh, around him. There was a lot of church startup people at that time. Alexander Campbell being one of them and, and Mary uh, Baker Eddy and Ellen G. White and there was a lot of prophetesses and the Shakers and all these guys would but Joseph was very different because he gave his revelations legs. They had a practical purpose when he gave them. And he used these revelations to keep buildings being built and the people to continually build up and unify for a purpose. All right. Listen to LDS author Richard Bushman, what he said, how he describes Joseph, his, quote, remarkable power to make religion. That he had a, quote, green thumb for growing ideas from tiny seeds and, quote, that he made the transcendent literal and the mundane heavenly, all right? That means he could take these transcendent ideas and he can make them literally applied to your life. He could take these mundane ideas, something as simple as milking a cow or something, and make them heavenly, like they were all cross-referenced with each other. And that's why Mormonism today is so materialistic and so involved in the things of this earth, because Joseph made this doctrine. It ties into what we're doing here is what we're going to do there. He brought heaven down here. He put here up there. It was a gift he had. I think Bushman nails him perfectly there. Joseph Smith was not another Emmanuel Swedenborg. Uh, with his head in the celestial clouds, he gave his revelations legs. Uh, he was not as pragmatic as the materialist Brigham Young, but he was able to use this, this gift of charisma and wherever you want to get the origin from it and motivate people to do in the name of what will be. Uh, amazing. Some people call it inspiration. Uh, some people call it manipulative and maniacal. I tend to think of his utterances as convenient revelations aimed at unifying the men and women who followed him. That's how I see it. I mean, I would probably try to get people to listen to me if I could pass it off without laughing. And uh, if I could pass it off as sounding from God before I knew the Lord, I would probably try to do the same thing. Honey, the Lord does not want the trash taken out by me any longer. I mean, it's got to be taken out by a woman. 
because it will strengthen your loins as you lift the can and carry it to the curb to bear the children, the offspring. I mean, I don't know. He had a gift. Bill, the Lord told me for you to clean the hedge between the houses because it's a shared communal area and that is your, that is your assignment. If I could do it eloquently and sounding biblical, and I may have tried to do it in my younger years. You think this is far-fetched? You think that he used these revelations as, uh, as, uh, um, as something really that came from God? Or do you think he manipulated with them? Just wait till you hear what he started doing with the revelations. Now we're entering into a phase that I've been looking forward to this whole year. We're in the 26th week. Calgary was having trouble getting Books of Mormon out on the uh, east side. And Joseph Smith received a revelation that told him to go to the border of the Lamanites. That means out into this area on the west part of the United States and to try to push the Book of Mormon to the Indians. And he took three guys with him. One of them's name was Parley P. Pratt. Parley P. Pratt, long story short, was baptized by a guy named Alexander Campbell. Alexander Campbell was very big in believing that the Church of Jesus needed to be restored to the earth. He was a restorationist. And Alexander Campbell baptized a guy named Sidney Rigdon. Sidney Rigdon baptized a guy named Parley P. Pratt. Okay? And Parley P. Pratt became a Mormon. And he couldn't wait to get to Kirtland, Ohio, and to share with Sidney Rigdon this new church called Mormonism and how it was the ultimate restoration church. Okay? I know it's a lot of stuff, but you can rewatch the show if you don't get it. Little known to Parley P. Pratt, Sidney Rigdon and all the people who lived in Kirtland, Ohio became Latter-day Saints. They were a commune, 150 of them in one place. Sidney Rigdon was the religious leader. He was known for being a great preacher and he converted from being a Christian, a biblical Christian, to a Mormon. And all these 150 people, double the size of what Joseph Smith had back in New York, converted in Kirtland, Ohio. Well, Joseph gets word of this from Oliver Cowdery, and Joseph says, hey, we got to get out there and join the saints in Kirtland. Why? It was going to get him out of the area where he was known for what he was doing, and he could join up with these 150 other people with his 60, and they could become a unified group. Now, um, Sidney Rigdon was known, quote, he had a gift of fine powers of mind and imagination of fertile and glowing to wild extravagance and a temperament tinged with sadness and boarding on credulity. He was also prone to nervous spasms and swoonings, which he attributed to the Holy Ghost. If you read about Sidney Riggin, you will find that Sidney was very susceptible to emotional outbursts. And he believed that he saw an angel after fasting for all these days that told him to become a Mormon. Sidney became the Mormon and the rest of the church uh, that he led followed, okay? All you needed to do was stick to what the Word says, and none of this would have happened, okay? But Sidney, somewhere along the line, stopped saying that the Word was enough, and he was subject to these swoonings that led him to become a Latter-day Saint, and he was able to lead everybody else to do the same thing. Back in New York, after Joseph heard it, the people were reticent to go to Kirtland. They wanted to stay in New York, the 60 followers of Joseph. And without uh, gaining the general consensus to move, Joseph received another convenient revelation. He said, quote, But the day soon cometh that ye shall see me. This is God speaking. The angels are waiting the great command to reap down the earth, to gather the tares that they may be burned. The revelation went on to say that the promised land Joseph envisioned, saying it was a land, talking about Kirtland, was a land flowing with milk and honey, upon which there shall be no curse when the Lord cometh. And I will give it to you 
for your land of inheritance if you will seek it with all your heart. So in essence, Joseph received a revelation from God, he said, that said, you've got to go to Kirtland because the second coming is near. And if you obtain this land of inheritance, you will not be destroyed, but you've got to go there. Another very convenient uh, revelation. And oddly enough, at the end of that revelation, Doctrine and Covenants 38, Joseph adds, And they that have farms that cannot be sold, let them be rented, or let this seemeth them good. It's just amazing. I mean, he had, it's, like receiving the, it's like receiving from God the cure for cancer. And then at the, at the end of the revelation saying, And, uh, and uh, I, I personally like crispy Kentucky Fried Chicken over the original recipe. I mean, he just adds this thing. Now, if you can't sell your farms, take care of the farms later as it seemeth good. It's just amazing. And these people bought it. And they still buy these revelations. Well, this revelation sealed the deal, and the Joseph traveled with Joseph. Uh, the saints traveled with Joseph to Kirtland, Ohio, and they established the church uh, there. And they had a problem because the Kirtland saints were receiving all kinds of wild revelations from different places. And Joseph had to reel them in where he again was the guy who received it and nobody else could. And he was able to do that. And uh, the type was cast. Now, in 1832, and we're going to conclude with this, I know it's been a lot of history makeup and gaps. There was a family and their names were um, Samuel and Clarissa Alger. And Samuel and Clarissa Alger, they converted to Mormonism in Ohio, having been reached out by Parley P. Pratt, they believe. And Parley P. Pratt baptized them, and they were in the Kirtland vicinity. And they had a daughter whose name was Fanny Alger. So they joined the Mormon church, and they became part of the Kirtland group. And Fanny Alger became Joseph Smith's first polygamous wife a year later. She was 15 years old, they believe. She was a servant in their house. And he, it was known around Kirtland that Joseph loved her and that he got her to marry her under the pretense, not revealed, but under the pretense that God wanted this. Another convenient revelation. This opens the door to our examination of Mormon polygamy and plural marriage. And next week, we're going to dive right into the 33 wives of Joseph Smith. Let's open up the phones, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. We have somebody on the phone, but I have to read a couple emails uh, that we've gotten. Uh, one is from Carl. He's LDS. He says, um, your beard makes you look like a wacko and you tend to leave your shirt unbuttoned mid chest. I understand that you want to enjoy the freedom in Christ. Uh, your stubbornness is reducing the effectiveness of your program. And then from uh, someone who called, they said, maybe you should dress a little better if you're going to be on TV and people are going to be believing what you are seeing, saying, so dress a little better or maybe shave or something. And I want you to know that if you are a person, and we got another one saying the guy was uh, embarrassed to have his wife watch the show who was LDS because she would look at me and she would think this is a wacko. If you are the type of person who needs me to look really good and refined for you, uh, you're looking at the wrong show. I don't want you to look at me because I will fail you, granted. I will fail you flat out. 
You're not going to get this icon that sits there in an ivory tower telling you, this is what the Lord saith, conveniently revealing what you want to hear. If you want to know the Lord, I'll tell you what I understand him to say, and I'm prompting you to find him. But don't look at me. And by the way, this represents church history. It takes an otherwise handsome face and makes it very ugly. So it will be shaved at the end of December, and my shirt's not going up any more than it is. And just, just, ah. Okay, now, um, oh, I can't go to these. We're going to Joyce on line one from Ogden. Joyce, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Hello, Joyce. I needed to ask you a question. Yes. I wanted to find out why um, I got my granddaughter. Uh, she's nine years old. I got her a religious cross. She wanted one, but she told me she couldn't wear it to church. She's Mormon. Now, why is that? Joyce, you're not going to believe this. The next email, it's, it's held right here. I could prove it to you. It says, quote, I bought my nine-year-old granddaughter a beautiful cross necklace, but she said she couldn't wear it to her LDS church. Why is that? Is that from you? Yes. That's awesome. Well, listen, the LDS uh, church has a lot of reasons for that, and uh, I'm going to give you a couple answers. First and foremost, they love to be different from the established church of Jesus Christ. They love to be different from the Christian church. And so if the Christian church uses a cross or the Catholics use a cross, the restored church is not gonna use a cross. That's the first thing. The second thing is they say they don't use it because it's an emblem of Jesus's death and they'll use the logic, if your child was killed with a knife, would you put a knife on your wall and worship it and use it as a lovely icon? That reveals that they don't understand what the cross means. Yeah. Thirdly, it's a total cultural thing. And, and I'm sure that your nine-year-old uh, granddaughter could wear it. I don't think they'll keep, keep her out of the church for wearing it, but she might take some heat from it. Uh, finally, uh, the, the thing to remember is the Bible and its references to the suffering and atonement and death and life of Jesus and our salvation always refers to the cross. Yeah, that's what I figured. And you don't look funny, so don't let anybody tell you that. Hey, thank you. All right, thanks, Sean. All right, Joyce, take care. Bye. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Chip, first-time caller from Springville. Chip, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Good. Hey, I just want to make a comment that uh, we down here in Springville just got us a new bookstore down on Main Street. It's right next to the old movie theater. It's called okay. Gift of Grace Christian Supply. Okay. And uh, we have a, our little church right across the street called Grace Bible Church. Okay. Anybody down around Utah County, you know, it's, we're open to the public. And uh, that little bookstore down there sure could use some support. Anybody down around there. I hear you always mention everybody from Evangelistic Free in Utah County. I just want to let you know there's a lot more of us Christians down here. All and, right. Uh, we love your show, Sean. And, and I just want to give a shout-out to a good friend of ours, Jan, over in Provo. Love you, brother. Thanks, Chip. God bless you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. So you got that, and uh, I, I'm sure the church is fine. Our church scouts haven't been there, so as far as the show goes, we don't recommend the church yet, but I certainly would recommend the church, uh, the bookstore, um, and so check them out. All right, we're going to Andy, line three. Andy, you are on Heart of the Matter. Thanks, Chip. You got to turn your TV off, Andy. So you got that, and, uh... Andy. Andy didn't understand that you got to turn your TV off. Uh, I'm disconnecting from Andy. Listen, 
uh, callers, if you're calling in or you're waiting on the line, you have to turn your TV down completely because you're going to be confused when you hear your, yourself not coming on. <laughs> okay, we are going to Kevin on line four. Kevin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, Sean. Yes, Kevin. Glad to talk to you. You too. Sean, I'm so, I'm, my highest respect goes to you for holding truth up to the hoax. And your topic tonight is convenient revelations. And uh, the blacks in the priesthood uh, oh. issue with the LDS is not only a convenient revelation, but it's a conveniently rescinded revelation. Yeah. So, and, Sean, if you look in the first five books of Genesis, uh, you'll find that the genealogies uh, are given in great detail through Seth and Cain. Now, the ten generations of Cain were extinguished with the flood. The generations of Seth were given great detail. You know, the, the times that the children were born and how old the people were, how old they lived. Uh-huh. So, therefore, if the Mormon genealogists and their uh, dozen and a half prophets and their hundreds of apostles and legions of genealogists and their farm scholars from Polygam Young University had looked into the genealogy of the original, you know, the first genealogy, they would realize that blacks, it is impossible for the seed of Cain to pass over uh, after the flood. Excellent point, Chip. And also, Sean, this should give uh, Thurl Bailey and Gladys Knight and her pips better sleep, knowing that they're not descendants of Cain. At best, they could be descendants of Ham, uh, which uh, many people think, you know, because of Cush and the, the migration to Egypt, that's right. where the black seed, uh, you know, strain came from. Right. But clearly in Genesis, in the first five books, there were eight people who got on the ark. Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their four wives. There was no seed of Cain. So not only was the revelation a hoax, Sean, the the rescinding of the revelation is is a worse hoax. Hey, uh, two things. The rescinding I want to get back to, but uh, those of you who don't know, the LDS believe that Cain hasn't died. Cain, Cain wanders the earth and doesn't get to die. And uh, that was always a great source of humor for me when I was a kid with my friends, because we wondered what happened to him during the flood. Yeah, really. Was he sitting down at the bottom of the ocean saying, I can't wait for this thing to end? Because, I mean, I mean, what happens? And then, Sean, yeah. I just have one more comment. Uh, you know, with a dozen and a half prophets and, like, as I say, the hundreds of apostles, which is kind of a, oh blasphemy to call themselves prophets or apostles because they haven't seen Christ. Right. And those genealogists, if they would just read the first five books of Genesis, they would they would know that there is no seed of Cain. That's a good point and well Sean, made. If they want to look for musty clams, I must say that the twelve that they've chosen and the three leaders, they're as pasty faced as they come. <laughs> And I think they look like oysters, uh, not clams. So hey, hang Kevin. in there, Sean. We appreciate your work. Thanks for the call, man. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Listen, about rescinded uh, doctrine, that's really important. Polygamy, 1890 Manifesto, Utah couldn't be a state if they practiced one of the uh, twins of barbarism, polygamy being one, and uh, they rescinded that. Blacks in the priesthood. Uh, they had the thing going on in Brazil. They needed the temple. They had a whole bunch of issues going on. They had to rescind it. And I believe that they're going to continue to evolve and um, 
and morph in order to survive. That's what makes them such a strong church is that they morph. So I believe, this is totally my thoughts, out there doesn't, I have nothing to base it on. I believe you're going to see the LDS church go to a paid clergy someday. And I believe you're going to see the LDS church give women a priesthood, the priesthood, some kind of priesthood where they're going to be acting as functionaries in the ecclesiastical order of the church. Those two things, I prophesy. No, I'm not a prophet. It's a total disuse of speech. Okay, let's go to Brett. Brent in Ogden. Brent, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hey. Hey, is this Sean? It is. Oh, man, I'm so excited to talk to you, friends. I just wanted to thank you and uh, tell you, man, you're doing a great job, and God's really got a lot of plans for you. I can see it. You know, I only get to watch you like maybe once a month, but when I do, I just get spiritually fed. Oh, thanks, Brent. I, I think you're so awesome, dude. Uh, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks. God, God bless you. Thanks so much. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. That's nice when, when people just call and compliment me with the musty glam comments and button my shirt and trim off my beard. I was going to start the show like this today, by the way. I thought it was very attractive and then surprise everybody. But All right, we're going to Alicia, first-time caller in Salt Lake City. Alicia, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Alicia. Hi, this is Alicia from Capitol Church. How you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. We just recommended your church. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. I wanted to say I love you, and you're beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, um, Alicia. I, brother, I wanted to let everybody know, too. I was in the LDS church, born and raised LDS. Uh-huh. And I had left, like, at 10 years old and stormed home to my mother and told her I'd never go back to that church again, ever. But I didn't know God, you know, but I needed, I knew that God wasn't there. How did you come to know him? I came to know him in 94. I was literally on my deathbed. <laughs> um, wasn't eating, very depressed. And he, he uh, I brought some young man to me and shined the light of Christ. And I knew that I didn't have it and I wanted it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's a great testimony. We really appreciate you sharing it. Thank you. Do you know where I can get any Abraham videos? Uh, uh, go to onelivingtruth.com, and he has connections to everything. Now, he, which one is it? Onelivingtruth.com. Onelivingtruth.com? Yeah, talk to Eric. He can get you anything. Awesome. All right, thanks. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Listen, let me say so. I had lunch with a very uh, a great guy, uh, David, a good Christian and uh, today, and we talked about spiritual rebirth and how that comes in so many different ways. And if you've gotten my book, you read about mine, and, and mine was powerful probably because I was such a sinner. And other people have them in much more subtle ways and, and, and different ways. The Lord works in so many ways. So don't beat yourself up in, in this, am I born again? Am I not? Am I born? You know, just, just trust in the Lord and walk with Him. Trust in and walk with Him and uh, read His Word and, and go to church where the Word is preached and you'll discover that you're born again, whether you've had a magnificent uh, Paulinian event or if you've just had a simple, wow, I really do know God is there event. Okay, let's go to Andrew. Cassidy, why don't you come back up and join me on the set? Come on. Let's go to Andrew, first-time caller in uh, Salt Lake City. Andrew, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Better than average. 
Hey, uh, I was uh, just calling in. I was one of the people who left the uh, DVDs on the doorstep, the Joseph Smith DVDs. Oh, wow. And I wanted to tell everybody out there, if it's LDS people watching or something, um, that was an effort of love. You may not see it that way, but uh, I really encourage you, if you still have the DVD, to watch that and think about what it says. I was at the Manti pageant uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, on Saturday, uh-huh. and I'm out on the street and with a group of other people that were doing a lot of uh, witnessing there, and I hear this this voice come over from the from the pageant, and it, it went something to the effect of, "Good evening. The LDS Church always bases its doctrine upon truth. We encourage you to exercise caution when accepting literature from strangers." Really. So. The idea I got from it is the LDS Church has the truth, so don't listen to anything anybody else says. Wow. And I want to make a challenge, really, to any LDS person that's watching, that if you have the truth, you don't have to be afraid of what anybody else says, because if you have the truth, what you have will knock it dead. Great testimony, man. Thanks for sharing that, Andrew. All right. Have a great day. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. Listen, uh, what was the LDS Church is based, and they announced this over the loudspeaker. Someone told me today, I don't know if this is true, that Deseret Book has pulled off uh, a lot of their uh, questionable books that would reveal a lot about church history because uh, I think they're scared. And so I just challenge each of you, when someone has questions that you can't answer for them, go to utlm.org, go to onelivingtruth.com, uh, come to bornagainmormon.com, Search the truth out. You don't have to listen to anybody, including me, but search the truth out. And if someone else helps you, great. It is there. You can find it. All right, let's go to Reed in Ogden on line four. Reed, you're on Heart of the Matter. Got to turn your TV off, Reed. Reed. These Reed guys are tough. Reed. So we're waiting 15 seconds for Reed. There he goes. Hi, how you doing, Sean? Reed, you got to turn your TV off, man. You're on a big delay. I done did it. I done did it. Okay. Okay, hey, I just got to talking to the missionaries right down the street. Mm-hmm. And I asked them about the, the Pearl of Great Price, and they said, that's God, it's true. Yeah. Anyway, and uh, yeah, they told me that Joseph Smith translated the Bible out of Hebrew, and the verses was Matthew 28, 3, and... Matthew 27, 50, and 33. So, I just curiosity. I can't hear you. I'm not talking. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, and I was just curious. Did you know he translated the Bible? He translated the Bible by direct revelation from God. Uh, this is what he says. And that he did not know Hebrew. He took, he took some Hebrew from a uh, Jewish rabbi, but he translated the Bible from his, the way he did everything. From his mind to paper. And uh, there was no uh, scholarly translation at all. Yeah. He, he knew some key, he knew some key uh, Hebrew words, and uh, he used them a lot. But, uh, I mean, to really learn Greek or Hebrew or Latin, you're going to have to study it a long, long time to really be able to translate, and that was just not Joseph's way. So basically, you really didn't translate, right? <laughs> no, right. Uh, well, and I asked him about the Pearl of Great Price and how they can really believe in that burial ceremony. Yeah. And he, he basically told me that um, it's, it's true gospel. It's so the, I, well, of course, I, you know. How, how, how are you making change your mind? 
Well, you know what? You're planting seeds and that's what we're all doing. We're planting seeds and God will do the watering and he will help things grow. And uh, that's just our duty to do what God tells us to share Jesus and plant the seeds. That's what I believe too. Today. All right, brother. Johnny, I love your show. You did a great job, and you made me a lot more knowledgeable about Mormonism myself. Oh. I tried for like 30 years to be a Mormon, but I just couldn't get into it. Well, that's probably a good thing, Reed. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I have a question. I have a girlfriend. She's a Mormon. She emailed you. She wants to know why you didn't respond to her email. <laughs> uh, oh, that, I'm glad you asked that. Listen, I have, I think, about 80 emails that I have to respond to, and we're so busy with getting things ready for Heart in the Park this Sunday, 3 o'clock, and uh, the Lord's Word Church and things. But I will get to the email. I answer all that I get, and I will answer her. I know you do. That's why I keep telling her. But, oh, yeah. is she the one who wrote me and says that she doesn't believe a word I say? Uh, it could be. I don't know. I didn't even let me see what she wrote. <laughs> I will write her back. Hey, I will see you in the heart of the park, though. All right, Reed. Thanks. All right. God bless, bro. Right, God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Terry, second-time caller in Salt Lake City. Terry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Terry, yes. you're on the air. Oh, hi. Hi. Um, I married into the Mormon church, and I am, I mean, I married my husband's families in the Mormon church, uh -huh. and I am so grateful to you. I look forward to um, seeing you each week because I'm learning so much. But when you said last week about Joseph Smith going and actually asking men to give up their wives for him, I yeah. think it's bothered me all week. Do not the Mormons believe in the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Yeah. I mean, I can't understand how, how they could have still believed that he was a true prophet at that point. Well, the way they, they, way, the way they will justify it, Terry, is they'll say this. There is a preparatory gospel, which is uh, the very basic Ten Commandments, what Jesus taught, Sermon on the Mount. And then there is new and everlasting covenant. There is a further light and knowledge that you can receive as you draw close to God, line upon line, precept upon precept, like a summer shower, giving everybody his wisdom. His wisdom. That's a song for the Mormons to be laughing at. And uh, they disbelieve in this really broad, enlightened view. And one of those views is polygamy. And at that time with Joseph Smith, it was polyandry. And he married other men's wives and he was, had them sealed to him, and they walked about knowing that when they died, they would be Joseph's and not their husbands, who they built a home and struggled with in the flesh. How can people today with, with good educations and, and, I mean, common sense, stealing is stealing. Coveting thy neighbor's goods is coveting thy neighbor's goods. I mean, why can't, I can't believe that they wouldn't just on that basis alone. Belief is always stronger than facts. Always. The Om uh, cult of Japan were all PhDs, all smart, all, all committed suicide and Harry Carey. The very wise people drink the Kool-Aid. I mean, believing is so much stronger than facts. And, the, you know, when you're taught to believe it and you believe it, I mean, facts just don't matter. They just don't. I guess that's true, but I, um, I look forward to seeing your program each and every week. Thanks, Terry. Um, you're... you're I already have a, you know, I already have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, praise God! I need whatever they've got. I've never been interested in it, but I am enjoying, to, enjoying to get the real knowledge, the real history. Oh, good. Not that, you know, whatever they want me, you know, you can't, be, you can't go to heaven and be with your husband. Right. Um, 
what kind of God is going to separate me from my husband. I right, mean, exactly. It doesn't make sense to me either. It just doesn't make sense to me at all. But I do appreciate all the good work that you've done for me personally. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you watching. And I think you look fine as well. Well, thank you for that. Okay, thank God you bless. so much. Bye-bye. Boy, I, I should start fishing for these compliments more often. This is great. All right, Stephanie and Murray. Stephanie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, uh, Sean. How's it going? It's going, Stephanie. How are you? Oh, wonderful. Guess what? What? I have met a prospect, and he uh, and we have fallen in love with each other. It's been wonderful. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> it's been really wonderful. I haven't, I haven't felt this good in so long. It's been so amazing that I found my, my back to my roots, actually. Actually, all, my ancestors were Protestants as well, too, so I have been really been happy about the whole thing. Oh, we're, we're so happy for you. Our, we have camera people dabbing their eyes. It's such, they are so <laughs> oh, happy. It's just been wonderful. I mean, I feel like I've been on cloud whatever. I don't give a care whatever I was on, but I feel like I'm on cloud you know where. <laughs> Well, it's uh, wonderful to hear. I hope you come to Heart in the Park. We'd love to meet the, the, the new man. <laughs> well, I don't know uh, if I can, but I will sure try to. All right, I Stephanie. I don't have to go to work. I will definitely try to make it over there. Oh, good. Where is that a park at? At Sugar House Park. At Sugar House Park? Well, I think that would be an easy for little thing for us to get through, I think. Okay. <laughs> you, three o'clock. Well, take care. Well, you too, Sean. You be careful. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm, Bye-bye. Be careful. That's always a comforting uh, departure. We're going to Jennifer from Syracuse, first-time caller. Jennifer, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Jennifer. Um, hey, I, I uh, am just a first-time caller, and I was wondering, I knew that you um, held some high positions in the LDS Church, uh -huh. and I was just wondering why you fell away from from that church in the first place? Uh, it's a long story. Uh, it occurred over a 17-year period of time, and I give a standard answer to that, which upsets some people, so let me give you a little bit more than that. My standard, okay. my standard answer is that it was sin that led me out of Mormonism. And what I mean by that is I recognize that no matter what I did, no matter what I tried, or look to, to fix me and give me a relationship with God, a real genuine one that I knew was there, I uh, wasn't able to do it as a Latter-day Saint. I tried, and I tried in every different type of way possible, and it didn't work. And it was only when I became broken because of sin and realized that Jesus, what he gave to me, had salvation had nothing to do with what I could contribute to the pot that I was saved by grace. When I came to understand that by God's grace, I was changed so radically that uh, my life was altered. And that is what led me to say Mormonism doesn't give what it should give relative to people's lives changing. Now, I know they're a very good uh, organization with helping giving people structure, families, teachings, morals, all that stuff. But bottom line, uh, it doesn't help the individual realize that they are a sinner. And that is missing from the LDS church uh, in, to a large extent. 
so um, you couldn't ask God to forgive you for your sins and, and just be okay with that? I could uh, do that. Uh, I, could, I could perfunctorily ask God to forgive me of my sins. I could go through the R scarf, uh, uh, recognize my sin, feel sorrow, confess, ask, make restitution, and forsake. But those steps and all that meeting with the bishop confession and trying hard not to do that didn't change my heart. I wasn't born again. And when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, I took that seriously and I kind of challenged God. I know you said this, show me. And he did. And he gave me new birth and a new heart. And that's, and I got to tell you, I told someone today, I was sitting in a Christian church and, and this person asked me, hey, did you... Uh, always want to go reach the Mormons. And I sat in that Christian church and the, my heart just said, this is what the Latter-day Saints need. And so that's why I, got, I embarked on this mission. Uh-huh. Does and that help? So, so are, are you a born-again Mormon? Is that what... I was born-again when I was a Mormon. I am now a born-again Christian. I left, I left the Mormon church, yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for calling. You bet. Okay, bye. You know what? We have one minute left. We're going to camera two so that I can embrace my daughter, Cassidy, here on the air. I love all three of my daughters, and uh, they're going to be at Heart in the Park this coming Sunday from 3 p.m. till dusk. Everybody's invited, regardless of your religious affiliation. Ministries are invited. We just ask that you don't use this as a platform to go evangelize and tell people what is right and what is wrong. This should be an open place for people to come and enjoy worship and fellowship and talking and eating and everything else that we're going to do there. Bounce house uh, and whatever. So we love you. Grateful for your patronage in uh, watching the show and sharing heart of the matter with others. Please continue to uh, share that with us. And also the infallible word, which we go uh, verse by verse. In, right now we're in the Gospel of John and that airs on Monday nights at 9.30 and Friday nights at 8.30. So until then, we'll see you at Heart in the Park. God bless you.